This is a parental advisory for this episode of The Theological Patriot. How should Christians approach the death penalty? And where does justice and mercy play its role? I'm Jeff Rubidoux. This is The Theological Patriot. If you want to get a big discussion going, bring up the topic of the death penalty. There are true Christians on both ends of the spectrum. There are those that will celebrate the death penalty. There are those that believe that the scriptures are emphatic and speak completely against the death penalty. And that you have those that are in between on this spectrum. So as we begin, let's look at a couple of the arguments for the death penalty. Then we will look at some of the arguments against the death penalty. But remembering, our authority is the scriptures. That we can have our feelings on how someone was treated, how a case was done, what evidence was used, what evidence wasn't used, all of that. We can have our feelings. But if we are going to truly come up with an answer, and we may not come up with the same answer, that's the joy of being a Christian and being an American. I can disagree with you, and we can still fellowship together. This is not one of those core beliefs that make you a Christian or not. So we're going to put that down. That's our basis. What does the Bible say? So first we look at Exodus chapter 21, verse 12. It says, He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. Okay. Very plain, black and white. Okay. That's with that point. That is black and white. It does not give any stipulation in that verse. It says, whoever strikes a man so that he dies surely shall be put to death. But the good thing with the scriptures is it continues throughout the Bible to give more descript um, it gives more of a description of who is to be put to death. What evidence should should there be? And so we're going to jump back to the book of Genesis, which is before God gave the law to Moses. In Genesis 9, verse 6, God speaking to Noah, he says, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. So here, this is before the law that God gave to Moses. This is before what has been called the Mosaic 
covenant. This is God's covenant with Noah. This is after the flood. This is part of the Noahic covenant, God's covenant with Noah. And so this is one that we can apply to all man because all humanity, no matter where you are from, came from the family of Noah because with this global flood, there were only eight people. So we have all come from these eight people long time ago. But this is a covenant that God made with Noah. That whoever sheds a man's blood, he shall have his blood shed because they have killed someone that is an image bearer of God. So those are those are two of the main verses that people will use in the Old Testament. And those that are against capital punishment, they may say, well, that's that's the Old Testament. That doesn't apply to us today. But if it's repeated in the New Testament, then we are going to give it more clout because for good for better or for worse we tend to apply the new testament to us to ourselves a little bit more so the new testament that paul in romans chapter 13 talking about the authority of government that he says in verses three through five, he says, for rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good and you shall have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God for you to do good. So there verse three in the beginning of verse four, God is the one that established government. He is the one that gives government its authority, even an evil government. God is the one that raises governments up and he is the one that tears them down. So God is the one that establishes government, but God doesn't establish government because people are good. Genesis 3, we are all sinful. We are all evil people. None of us is born good. Romans 3, there is none righteous. No, not one. Okay, we are not good people. I don't have to teach my son to disobey. I don't have to teach my son to do something wrong. He knows that how to do that on his own. So God didn't establish government because we are good to keep us in line. God gave us government because we are evil. We are wretched human beings. So if you want to have no fear of authority. 
do what is good. Follow the laws. If the law says don't murder, then don't murder. If the law says don't steal, then don't steal. If the law says the speed limit is 30, don't go 75. If you follow the law and you have a good government, then you should not have any fear of them. But Paul continues, he says, But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on those who practice evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. So, look, going back over our argument, Exodus 12, 20, uh, 21, 12. He who strikes a man so that he does not, so that he dies shall surely be put to death. No, uh, Genesis 9, verse 6. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. Romans 13. God placed government in authority. And government is the one that can carry out that authority. God gave them the power to carry out punishment. Not because we're good people but because we are evil, wretched people. Now, you look at a couple of arguments that are against the death penalty. The one argument, it says that Jesus' death on the cross ended the requirement for blood recompense and blood sacrifice that the sacrifice of Jesus the lamb of god replaced the sacrifice of animals now this argument whenever i look at it 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 makes me it it makes me think honestly it makes me think that you know yes jesus his sacrifice, it replaced the sacrificial system. No arguments there. Jesus said, I didn't come to end the law. I came to fulfill it. His death, there's no longer any need for, the, for us to go and make animal sacrifices. Absolutely agree. Totally agree. No arguments here. But this when you look at this, this argument doesn't take into account that it doesn't say in the Old Testament that if someone strikes a man so that he dies, he shall take an animal 
to the temple. And if he sacrifices that animal, then he's abolished of that penalty. I haven't seen, I don't see that in the Old Testament. That there is, there is an argument that, um, that Deuteronomy 21 shows us that if an animal is sacrificed, it can purge the community of guilt. And that, that's in the scripture. I'm not going to argue with that. But the question is, this the sacrifice of animals, you can have someone be forgiven for committing a crime, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to be punished for it. Because for me, I have committed many, many sins. More than I can count. Do I deserve to be punished for those sins? Absolutely. 100%. Because when you look at Adam and Eve, what was their punishment for one sin? They were expelled from the, from the Garden of Eden. Broken community with God. With one sin, they sent the whole world into condemnation. That we are now enemies of God. So there, there has to be punishment. I can be forgiven, but there has to be some kind of punishment for my sins before God because God is perfectly just and if God lets me off the hook for a sin that I committed and there's no punishment for it then God is not perfectly just he is not a good judge but my punishment was pushed on Jesus Jesus took my place that I was standing before God guilty of more sins than I can count. And Jesus stood in my place and said, I'm taking his punishment on me. So someone can have guilt purged from them, but there still must be someone that bears that punishment. Now, when we look at specifically the death penalty, this is what one, one theologian says. It is the sanctity of life that validates the death penalty for the crime of murder. And I'll stop right there. That those that are that are on death row and those put to death, it shouldn't just be at the whim of the government. 
that if you get a speeding ticket, you shouldn't be put to death because you went 10 miles over the speed limit. You shouldn't be put to death because you ran a stop sign. You shouldn't be put to death if you accidentally hit someone. Okay, there are very specific crimes that, in my view, warrant the death penalty. The premeditated murder of someone. That if there is an accident, that is up to the courts. In my view, that person should be in jail for the rest of their life because it wasn't intentional. It wasn't premeditated. But if there is someone that is committing murder and has and it's in a premeditated way, that person deserves the death penalty. And it it shouldn't be a quick process. That it's not a crimes committed, then within three weeks that person's put to death. Absolutely not. It should not be a quick process. Because there should be evidence that all the evidence should be laid out. That's why in the Old Testament, when someone was going to be put to death, Deuteronomy 17, it lays out in verses 6 and 7, that on the evidence of two to three witnesses, who is to die shall put to death. Okay, so it has to be One, there has to be evidence. Two, there has to be witnesses to the evidence. At least two to three. And they have to collaborate. Their stories have to make sense. They have to fit together. But also, verse 7 that the hand of the witnesses shall be the first to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people, so you shall purge evil from your midst. So the person making the accusation should be the one to throw the first stone in the case of the Old Testament where they would stone people to death as a punishment. Now that encouraged truthfulness that you wouldn't just make a flippant accusation about someone that you had to make sure you were telling the truth because you were going to be the one to throw the first stone so let me get back to this quote from theologian john murray 
It is the sanctity of life that validates the death penalty for the crime of murder. It is the sense of the sanctity that can that constrains the demand for the inflection the infliction of this penalty. The deeper our regard for life, the firmer will be our hold upon the penal sanction which the violation of the sanctity merit. The reason that people are pro-death penalty in the case of premeditated murder, in the case where all the evidence has been laid out and it is without the sh- with no shadow of a doubt that this person did it that it it's because we value human life that this person needs to be executed because the taking of a human life, you are killing an image bearer of God. Now, does that mean that we don't, that we we celebrate when someone is executed? No. It grieves us. That we don't celebrate when someone is put to death because that person's an image bearer as well. But for justice to be carried out, in my view, in rare cases, the death penalty is the just punishment. So, looking at just a couple of cases, and I would ask the question, if this what if this was your family, if this happened to to your family, would you want this person sitting in prison for the rest of their life knowing that they took the life of your loved one? First case is in Cheshire, Connecticut. That there is Dr. Pettit. He is at home with his wife, his 17-year-old daughter, and his 11-year-old daughter. These two men break in. They beat Dr. Pettit, severely injuring him. With a baseball bat. They restrain him in the basement. His two daughters are restrained. They take his wife, force her to withdraw money from the bank. After they take her back to her house, they rape her and they strangle her to death. Then... They rape his seven, his 11-year-old daughter. Then, while his two daughters are still in, 
are in their house. They tie, they take them from the basement, tie them to their beds. They set fire to the house. By some miracle, Dr. Pettit escapes. But he has lost his wife. He has lost his two daughters. That they were burned alive. My question, what is the correct punishment for these two men? Should they spend their life in jail? Is that justice? Or is the death penalty what they deserve? In his own words, Dr. William Pettit said, Death is the only true punishment for certain heinous and depraved murders. Another case, very recent, that this execution was carried out. Brandon Bernard, that he abducted and robbed youth pastors Todd and Stacy Bagley. If I mispronounced their name, I'd truly apologize. They had offered him a ride. He takes them, throws them in the trunk, is selling their stuff. That they are beaten by Mr. Bernard and some of and some other people. And then they are set on fire. He was convicted in 2000 of this crime. He'd been on death row for 20 years. Is it justice for these two people that were murdered that he be left in prison for the rest of his life? That he gets to keep his life? Is that justice? Now, there may be some that think that I'm not being very merciful in how I approach this. I assure you, I am trying to be as delicate as possible. Is there any forgiveness? Is there any place for forgiveness? That if 
someone comes to faith and truly repents of their crime and they truly come to faith in Jesus, but they have murdered someone, should they be let out? Should they escape the death penalty? My answer is no, because if they are truly saved, they know where their destiny is. They know that they will be welcomed into heaven because there is not a sin that is too much for God to forgive. But just because someone has been forgiven by God, for justice and for this world to be sustained, justice must be carried out. So while we do not celebrate capital punishment, we make sure that it is, happens in a rare case. It shouldn't be broadly applied, but rare is our desire. So my hope is that as you look at this case, you may come, come down on either side of the spectrum. But my hope and my prayer for you is that you don't let this break fellowship. We can disagree on this, but don't let fellowship be broken because of, how, because of your view on this. My name is Jeff Rubidoux, and I am the Theological Patriot.